You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Good morning. How are you? Awesome. Well, today we we wrap up our series on the ghost, on the Holy Spirit. And uh, I'm very much uh, looking forward to today because today is probably the absolute most important out of the entire series of what you need to know about the Holy Spirit. Uh, We've been growing an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. He's a who, he's not a what, he's not an it, he's not a force. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Uh, As Christians, biblically, we have the triadic formula, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, the mystery of the Godhead. The Bible doesn't explain how, it just says it is. And so we've been unpacking who the Holy Spirit is. And uh, some of the things we've looked at over the last several weeks, uh, we're going to touch on it for a second, and then we're going to wrap it up today with what it means to have the Spirit-filled life, how to have a life that is in the Spirit. Our theme verse has kind of been wrapped around Acts 1.8, which says, uh, but you will receive power. The word there in the Greek is dunamis, big Greek word. Everybody say dunamis. Now say dynamite. You guys remember that show? All right. Uh, dynamite is where we get the word uh, dunamis is where... Um, Dynamite got its origin from. Dynamite came from the word dunamis. So right there, the word says, you will receive dynamite, miraculous power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We've unpacked that over the course of this last month. In week one, we looked at who the Holy Spirit is. And, and week two, we looked at why and, and uh, the Holy Spirit is given to us and why it's so important that we know and grow in our understanding of the Holy Spirit and what his role is in our life. In fact, I would encourage you, if you missed any one of these, they are online at our website and you can listen to them on your phone, you can listen to them in your car uh, while you're at work. Um, just kind of plug them in and listen to them. Uh, weeks three through six, we unpack the power of the Holy Spirit and we looked at the Holy Spirit's spiritual gifts and how they work because the Holy Spirit gives to believers gifts and uh, these gifts are given to us to make a difference in the world. Now the Holy Spirit has a function and I the three C's, the comfort, convict, and counsel, uh, that's what the Holy Spirit is given. He draws us to know God. We don't even want to know him without him. So if you have no desire for God, then, uh, then that's because the Holy Spirit's not working in your life. Because if you want to know him, it's only because the Spirit is drawing you to know him. Any interest you have in him is thanks to the Holy Spirit. For he draws us, he comforts us, he convicts us of our sin, he counsels us, he gives us direction, and he empowers us to make a difference. We've looked at the four spiritual gift categories that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and they were the motivational gifts. These are the gifts that you're born Uh, reborn with. That means when you get born again, when you give your life to Christ, you are deposited uh, with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives you these spiritual gifts for the kingdom of God. Those are yours, and you're to develop them and mature in them. And then the Holy Spirit will, from time to time, use the second gift, and that is manifestational gifts. And these are gifts that God gives as needed. Now, we looked at some of these illustrations through I uh, have this flare, but flares always remind me of dynamite. So I'm like, I love these things. It feels like, <laughs> I feel like a, like some cowboy blowing up a, some 
mountaintop searching for gold or something or some miner, you know, back in the 1800s. Anyhow, uh, these uh, flares, they represent the power of God, the dunamis. Each one of you have been given a dunamis, right? But you have to light it and uh, let God use the power that he's already given you for his glory. And then we talked about how God will periodically use manifestational gifts that like this lamp, uh, I used it a couple of weeks ago, is that periodically God will turn on uh, unique powers and gifts and manifest himself in unique ways for specific and special purposes. And then we talked about ministry gifts, and that is the gift that God gives certain individuals for the work and the training of others uh, of others in ministry. And uh, today I just want to touch on for a second the mastery gifts, and then I want to just wrap up this whole thing, this whole series. Uh, mastery gifts are the skill gifts. Let's briefly look at those in 1 Peter chapter uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That means each, each of you has been, has been uniquely gifted by the Spirit and uh, whatever those gifts are, whatever various forms, whatever different ways that those gifts come up, we're talking about natural, spiritual gifts given by the Spirit, but they're natural gifts. These are mastery gifts. These are the things you're good at. He says, if anyone speaks, like for instance, if you're good at speaking, uh, do so, uh, speak the very words of God, then use that for God's glory. If anyone serves, so they should do it with the strength that God provides so that all things uh, so that in all things God might be praised through Jesus Christ. Now, he just gives uh, two examples, and then he, he says, uh, to him be glory and honor and power forever and ever. Now, he's talking about here the things you're naturally good at. Mastery gifts, the category here is very simply are the things that you are good at, the things that you are talented at, your abilities, abilities given by God. Uh, what I'll say about this is that these are the ones you're born with, uh, these are abilities given by the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe you can sing. Maybe you can speak in front of people. Maybe you're uh, gifted in organization, or maybe you're a great cook, or maybe you're a dynamic with computers. You've got that computer brain. And some of you, you don't know where the inner key is. Some of you, you're excellent athletes. And some of you, you know, running's not anything you've ever <laughs> worked on. Uh, so some of you... You know, if you don't own somebody, anybody here struggle with sports? You're not athletic. Anyone to own that? A few of you. All right, some of you. The rest of you, <laughs> you, some of you are lying because you know you're no good at sports. And how many of you say, oh, yeah, phew, I'm excellent at sports? Anybody here? Of course you are. Of course. Of course some of you are. Now, how many of you would say, you know, I can sing. I'm a good singer. I can sing pretty good. Put it up. All right. Band, look around. Be sure to talk to these folks here. How many say, you know what? I'm pretty good. I can't sing, but I'm good at a musical instrument. Anybody here? I'm good at a musical instrument. Okay. How many would say, you know what? Uh, I can I can cook like nobody's business. I can fix a meal. <laughs> Bobby, you're like out of your seat. Uh, some of you guys are like, yeah, Marlo. How many of you guys are like, you know, cooking's not my thing, but baking is my thing. And you're like, you know what? The sweets, that's what I'm good at. Anybody? All right, uh, you, can, you can come over to my house anytime you want. Um, how many of you would say, you know what, when it comes, I'm not, a, I'm, you know, sports aren't my thing, but I'm like really tech-oriented. I'm like, you know, computers, I love it. I can like play with computers all day. Anybody like that? You know what, I'm a techie. Anybody here? 
So you know what? I love networking. I like hardware. I like loading software. Anybody? Anybody like building bombs? Okay. All right. Then uh, uh, NSA, there's a... Some of you guys, uh, yeah, like building rocket ships and that sort of thing. Um, how many of you, uh, you know what, maybe none of those are your thing, but you, you can get in front of people and you can, you can lead. You can speak pretty well. You're a good teacher, you know, or maybe you're just a good, you have confidence in front of people. Or you're, you know, how, how many of you are like, you know what, don't put me in front of people, but put me behind people and I will shine, you know, anybody like that? Here's the deal, guys. Listen, we're all born differently. And these gifts are not uh, a happen chance. Of, of genetics. I mean, sometimes there is an inclination towards a gift. For instance, my wife and I were singers, so we have uh, daughters that are very into music, and, and one in particular that loves to sing. They both love to sing, but one really loves to sing. Uh, I grew up and uh, being a, an artist, and my mother was an artist, and I've got another daughter who's who just loves art, and just really, that's her thing. There is some some genetics, I think, to that, but when it comes down to it, the Bible says those are gifts from God. Those are given by God, and they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Here's what's interesting about the mastery gifts is that you could be a Christian or not a Christian and still have one. That means there are people who are not Christians who are great singers. There are people that, that, uh, that are not Christians that are great speakers, that are great writers, that can cook amazing meals, that can open up restaurants, that are entrepreneurs, that were business people. This is not something that is only for Christians or non-Christians. Uh, uh, this is for everybody. This is for God gives all of us unique abilities and skills, but you need to remember that they are given by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of bringing God glory. That's what that passage just said. He says, whether it's anything from getting in front of people or being behind people. He said, speaking, which is like this leadership in front, dynamic, singing, speaking, you know, managing, or if it's serving behind the scenes, whatever it is, he says, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever it is that you've been given to do, the reason you've been given that is to help people to see the kingdom of God. Now, if you're not a Christian, these gifts are ultimately turned for their own benefit, right? An athlete, a singer, a musician, whatever, people who are talented, they'll use these God-given gifts to glorify themselves or for fame or for money or for possession or uh, whatever. You know, they seek it and use it for themselves. Now, according to the Bible, that is not what they've been designed for. They've been designed that in relationship with God, the world might see God through your gift. Now, I want you to write, this is uh, one thing I want you to write down about this, and then we're going to move on from this. And that is, um, understand this. Don't confuse your platform with your purpose. Don't confuse your platform with your purpose. Your talents and abilities are not your calling and purpose in life. Some people say, well, I can sing, so I'm, I'm, my calling is to be a singer. No, no, it's not. You know, I'm, I'm great with my hands. Man, I can build stuff. Just give me some tools and uh, stuff, and I'm going to build stuff. And, and you know what? And you, you might think that that's my, my calling is to create. A scientist, my calling is to, to find the cure for cancer or discover a cure for AIDS. or whatever. I'm good at it, so that's my calling. No, it's not. Don't confuse your platform with your purpose. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your purpose in life is twofold, to know him and to make him known. If you are not a believer in Christ, you have one purpose in life, and that is to find him, to know him. 
Because you won't know yourself until you know him. And you won't find understanding in life until you find understanding in him. So if you're not a follower of Christ, you have one thing that's only ever going to make you happy. And that is you will not be happy making money, being famous, being popular. You could open a business and be good at it. You could be a musician and be great at it. You could be someone who does create the cure for some uh, disease. And you still won't be happy because you haven't discovered your purpose to know him, to know God. If you are a Christian... You now have two purposes, two directions to know him and make him known. So that gift you have has been given to you as a platform for the world to know him. For example, um, when I was younger, I could sing much better than I could now. And uh, um, actually, when I went through chemotherapy with my cancer, it damaged my voice. And I had uh, lung damage uh, from one of my chemotherapies called bleomycin. And so I have actually breathing problems. And... uh, um, and, and so I, I, have, I have to really concentrate to, to breathe and to sing, and, and it just doesn't sound the same. And, and I'll never be a professional singer or musician or anything at all anymore. I, I, one time I thought maybe I would be, you know, in the early days, but there's not a chance. But that doesn't change my purpose in life because my purpose is to make him known. If you're an athlete and uh, you think, you know, I'm called to be a professional athlete, a professional football player, basketball player, whatever, and you get injured, your purpose in life hasn't been deterred because your purpose in life is to know him and make him known. And your abilities and talents are the platform for that purpose. So guys, listen, your platform will change through the stages of your life. When you're great at something, that will be the platform that God gives you to make him known to the world. But when that platform changes or when you lose that ability or when that talent is taken from you, whether it be through age or through an accident or or through just a lack of interest or you're just not that good anymore. So if you were great with computers in the 80s, technology's changed. You're not so great anymore. Some of you, you'd rather spend all day on a Commodore 64 and you have no idea how to use Windows 10 because you were great, that was your platform, but it's, not, it's never your purpose. Your talents and abilities are never your purpose. They're just a platform for your purpose. So for those of you that are followers of Christ, don't shape your future and your purpose on your talents and abilities, your mastery gifts, your skill gifts. Put them on the platform, I mean on the purpose, which is to know him and to make him known. And I tell you what, no matter what season of life you're in, you'll be living in the purpose and will and fulfillment of God. So uh, I just wanted to say that about the mastery gifts, our purpose is to make Jesus known. Today, we're going to end on probably the most important role of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's kind of where we're going to close the door on the spiritual gifts. And uh, today, I want to talk about, uh, I want to end this section talking about um, the bi- a big word called sanctification. If I say sanctification, sanctification, say I'm sanctified. All right, sanctified, sanctification. This is, the word means, it is a word out of the Bible that means to be set apart or the process of life change. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to look at the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life. Acts 1-4 says this, On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of 
my Father has promised. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, which you have heard me speak about. Now, this is, Acts 1 is not the first time he's been talking about the Holy Spirit. He has talked about the Holy Spirit a lot. In fact, in uh, John, uh, there's like four chapters where the, the night before Jesus is crucified, he did a lot of like tying up a business with the disciples before the cross, and he talked a lot about the function, the role, the purpose of the Holy Spirit. We went over that in uh, week one and two. He says, uh, he says, I've talked a lot about it. He says, uh, because John baptized you with water, that's immersion in water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, the word baptized means to be immersed. It means to be covered, immersed, uh, soaked, um, dunked. This is the, the one-time event in a person's life. It is not something that happens more than once. Um, it is done through the Holy Spirit. And 10 days after Jesus said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, 10 days after he promised it, it happened. And they were up in an upper room. We don't know how, exactly how many. We know that there could have been up to 120 there based on Acts chapter 1. But we know that all of the disciples and those that were present were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak boldly of Christ, and they began to see the miracle uh, hand of God. The manifestation gifts of the Spirit began to happen. All right, we're going to build a platform, and some of this we've talked about, but we're going to build something here, all right? So I want you to write this down. Point number one is all believers are baptized in the Spirit. All right, now if you're not a Christian today, then I want you just to kind of hang on and tune in and listen to what it means to know and to have a spirit filled life, all right? And this is the key. This begins right here. The moment you say yes to Jesus Christ, the moment you turn from yourself and turn from him, the moment you acknowledge that that you're wrong and God is right, and you turn from yourself and you turn to God's plan and will, when you acknowledge what the cross was for, that Jesus is who he said that he was, and that he shed his blood for you, and you acknowledge that, and you accept that grace and forgiveness, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, you then are changed into a brand new person. You are baptized, soaked, immersed, dunked, and you are covered in and given the indwelling Holy Spirit. That is baptism. It's kind of an inside-out thing. It's like in you. It's on you. It's with you. You are drenched. You are soaked. John the Baptist baptized in water. He says, but Jesus said, I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to soak you, drench you, immerse you, cover you completely in the Holy Spirit. And that happens at the moment of salvation. Jesus is the baptizer himself. The baptism of the Spirit is not an experience separate from salvation. We talked about this exclusively in the, in the first and second week of the series. Baptized in the Holy Spirit is not even found in the Bible. Only baptized with the Holy Spirit. With is a primary preposition, meaning a fixed time. Spirit baptism occurs at a fixed, specific, primary time. When is that time when you are baptized? The moment you truly are born again. I'm not talking about the moment you join a church, the moment that you say a prayer, or even the moment you're baptized in water. But the moment you are truly born again, you are baptized in the Spirit. Acts 2.38 says, Peter 
After the Holy Spirit fell on all of them, he said, repent and be baptized. That word baptized there is referring to water baptism. And he's not saying that this is a formula for faith, but a response to faith. He says, if you are truly born again, then you declare that outwardly through baptism. He says, when you actually are truly born again, he says, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, he says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. At the moment of salvation, when you are truly redeemed and made new, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're given that gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise wasn't just for them. He says, this promise is for you and your children and all who far off, for all whom the Lord will call. That means all who God will say, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. Now, speaking to Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says this, we were all baptized by one spirit. That's a slam dunk right there. If you are born again, you were baptized in one and the same spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we're all given one same spirit to drink. Guys, listen, there's two things this verse tells us. Number one, the gospel is multi-ethnic. That means it doesn't, when you say yes to Christ, it doesn't matter what your color or your skin is. It doesn't matter what background you have. It doesn't matter what culture you're from. Jesus is not a cultural thing. He is a cross-cultural thing. That means someone in Africa, Asia, Europe, uh, Russia, doesn't matter. Jesus is Jesus everywhere. And when you bow the knee to Jesus Christ, you are baptized in the spirit into one body. You are baptized into the body of Christ. That's number one, it tells us. Number two, it says that baptism is a change of position. We are one family through the Spirit. When you are baptized in the Spirit, when you say yes to Jesus Christ and you are baptized in the Spirit, you move from one position and God puts you in a new position. You are over there, separated from the kingdom, but in Christ you are part of the family of God. This is what I love about mission work. No matter where you go, even when you don't speak the language, when you meet other believers in Christ, there's this kindred spirit through the baptism of the spirit. We are one in the Lord. Galatians 3, 26 says, So in Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all you who were baptized into Christ, he's talking about the spirit there, have been clothed or have clothed yourself with Christ. Again, that word baptism, remember, means covered or clothed. He says, in the spirit, you are covered and clothed in Christ. All believers are baptized in the spirit. Baptism in the spirit joins the believing uh, person into the body of Christ, placing the believer in a position differently. Uh, If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, then you are not born again. And, uh, And the Bible says you're not even in Christ. Romans 8, 9 says, if any man has not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He is not God's. So it's like the, the Holy Spirit, that baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens at the moment of salvation is God saying, you are now part of my family. You belong to me. But be careful. Be careful that you don't confuse baptism of the Spirit with the command to be filled with the Spirit. Write this down. Here's number two, is that all believers are to be continually filled with the Spirit. All believers are baptized in the Spirit at the moment of salvation, and all believers are to be continually filled with the Spirit. By the way, there is not a single command in the Bible to be baptized in the Spirit, but there are several commands to be filled 
with the Spirit. That's because baptism happens at the moment of salvation. However, we are to be pursuing this understanding of being filled with the Spirit. While there is only one experience of the baptism of the Spirit, there can be many experiences of being filled with the Spirit. To be filled, this is what it means. It's not about the indwelling of the Spirit. When we say filled with the Spirit, when the Bible says be filled with the Spirit, it's not talking about the indwelling Holy Spirit that is given to us at salvation. It does not refer to the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We are the temple of God. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are deposited with the Holy Spirit, born into the Spirit, and the Spirit in you is what enables you to cry out, God, our Father, Abba, Father. But we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit more than once, perpetually, all the time. So what does it mean? If it's not an indwelling, it means to be filled. In fact, I've got some notes in your worship guide, some extra verses, where there are scripture examples of people, even in the Old Testament, who were filled with the Spirit. And even in the New Testament, before uh the Holy Spirit came after the resurrection that people were filled with the Spirit. Well, if being filled with the Spirit is not the indwelling of the Spirit, then, well, what is it? Well, let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15. This is what the Spirit-filled life is, okay? This is what the Spirit-filled life is. Verse 15 says, well, let's read the whole thing first. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in those evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So let's talk about this. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, number one, filled with the Spirit means that a Spirit-filled life is a life of discernment. It says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. When the Spirit of God is working and moving in your life, you live a life of discernment that's unique. You see life differently. And why wise? Because people need Jesus. You don't live life selfishly for yourself, but when you are filled with the Spirit and you're walking and moving and understanding the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you live in a way of discernment that causes you to think differently about the world around you, which is number two. Check this out. It says, the Spirit... Uh, says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. You know you're filled with the Spirit because the Spirit-filled life embraces life differently. You live it differently. You realize every moment is God's moment. You see every moment as an opportunity for the glory of God. And you make decisions based upon how it's going to make God look and how it's going to make the kingdom of God. And if it might push someone away from Jesus. Guys, there are a few things in life that are worse than causing someone to be pushed away from Jesus. In fact, Jesus was very, very clear. His most outspoken comments were towards the Pharisees who were hypocrites, putting on unreasonable and unfair and unbiblical expectations on people, uh, piling up over 800 rules that they had to live by in order to know God. And as a result, people were missing God. And so Jesus uh, had a lot of things to say about the Pharisees. He called them 
children of the devil. <laughs> he said, you're all going to hell. He said, there's no hope for you. He said, you're snakes, you're vipers, you're, you're poison, you're disease. You're, you're, you're going to be the type of people that will never understand truly God. Why? Because they were, they were so influenced by selfishness that even these religious folks, Jesus says, uh, woe unto you. In fact, at one point he said, he gathered some children. He says, the kingdom of God is like these children. You got to come to me with this sense of trust and this transparency and this innocence. And he says, but woe unto those that make these little children, young believers or people who don't know Christ. He says, woe unto them that cause one of these others to stumble. And Jesus says one of the most craziest things in the Bible. He says this. He says, if you cause another to stumble, one of these little ones to stumble. He says, tie a noose around your neck, tie the other end on a big stone and throw yourself in the lake because I'm coming after you and you better wish, you're going to wish you were dead. You're like, what? Jesus didn't say that. Yeah, he did. Jesus takes very seriously when we cause someone not to see Jesus, but when the spirit is in you and moving, you see life differently. You realize every moment is God's moment. Verse 17 says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. A spirit-filled life embraces the eternal over the temporary. You make uh, choices differently. You understand your mission here. A spirit-filled life doesn't invest their time and their energy and their emotions and their efforts into things that will pass away in this life. You don't embrace the, the temporary, but, uh, but you embrace the eternal. That's an aspect of how you know someone is filled and moving in the spirit. And then he says this, don't be drunk with wine. By the way, when you're drunk, you're under the influence. He says, don't be under the influence of alcohol. He says, better rather be under the influence of, of a greater spirit. Uh, I, I find it interesting. Alcohol is called spirits. You know, the bartender's basically your pastor. And there's a lot of people that worship at the altar of a, of a, of a, of a pub rather than at the altar of Christ. And they find their counsel in a bartender and, in, a, and in, in, in false spirits of alcohol rather than the spirit of God. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. How many of you know somebody whose lives have been ruined because of alcohol? I grew up in a family where alcoholism was rampant um, and it ruined a lot of lives and marriages. He says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is the opposite of getting drunk. Uh, God's influence is is got to be the core of who we are. And this is the last thing I want you to write down about being spirit-filled is that a spirit-filled life must be sought after and pursued. It doesn't just happen. He says, don't do this, but do this. Don't pursue uh, selfish gratification. You know, a lot of times uh, people, they find their, their peace, their comfort. Uh, they, they find escape in alcohol. And, and Paul is saying, you know what? Don't find your escape in alcohol. It will ruin your life. He says, but find your escape uh, and, and find your influence and find your peace and find your comfort. Find that hard day after work doesn't need a, a drink. It needs the Spirit of God. So be filled with the Spirit. Get in that place where you've got to make a choice that you are going to choose the Spirit of God over the other influence and habits of your life. A spirit-filled life must be sought after and pursued. That word there, but be filled with the Spirit, the word filled in Greek is a continual present tense, which means to be continually filled. In fact, some translations will actually say that. They'll say, but continue to be filled or to be continually filled 
with the Spirit. Guys, listen. We are baptized in the Spirit, and we are to be continually filled with the Spirit. There are numerous instances of the the disciples who were already empowered by God. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were baptized in the Spirit. But there are many times after that where they were filled with the Spirit. They were revived and empowered. Here's one in Acts chapter 4. They had already been baptized in the Spirit. They had already seen miracles and signs and wonders. Here's what happened. Uh, A couple of the disciples got arrested, and they were taken to jail. And uh, this was, you know, we're looking at like just a couple of months after Jesus. So uh, they didn't want the disciples to talk about Jesus who they just killed. They're just trying to stop the whole movement of this Jesus thing. And so they arrested these Christians and uh, they were afraid that they were, that there were a riot would ensue. So they took these disciples in and they said, we will let you go, but you better not share or speak of Jesus ever again, or we will arrest all of you. And we will do to you what we did to Jesus. So they released them, and immediately those disciples went back to the body, to the group, to their church, and they, be, and they told them everything that happened. And instead of going, we need to move out of here. We need to move out to the country. We need to go out, and we need to pray. We need to boycott our government. We need to put signs in our yard. They didn't uh, ask for a change of leadership. You know what they did? They fell on their face before God, and they asked for the Holy Spirit to give them the power to be strong in the midst of a world that was against them. And this is what happened when they prayed that kind of prayer. Uh, And you can read it in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began, or they continued, to speak the word of God boldly. It didn't stop them. Even though they were threatened and they were told they would die, they would go to jail, um, Instead of praying for God to change the leadership or to change the culture or to bring back the good old days, they just sought God and said, God, what should we do? You're in charge. This is your, read that whole chapter four prayer. It is a prayer of submission to God's will, not a change of position. And it was, God, what do you have for us? And his answer was, be filled with the spirit, speak boldly. Uh, This is something that can and should happen often in our life. Uh, Here's the reality. Guys, in this life, trials come. How many of you ever had a trial in your life? Anybody? Yeah, me too. The rest of you, <laughs> I don't believe you, number one. And number two, it's coming. All right, if you, if you haven't, it's coming. Have you ever had a, uh, um, uh, a, a discouraging event at work or in your family? Anybody? Discouraging event at work? How many of you ever just, you get stressed out? You just get tired. Anybody here? How many, how many feel stressed out right now? Anybody? Does you feel stressed out? Some of you? How many of you just feel tired right now? Not because you stayed up late, but because you just, so much is going on in life, right? You get discouraged, you get stressed, fear, struggles with sin. All of these things can affect our fellowship with God. They do not affect our relationship with God. That is secure in Christ, but they affect our fellowship with God. And we need to find those places and seek those places, those moments of filling See, when they came out of that prison, when they came out of that jail and they were told to be quiet, there was fear. There was stress. There was anxiety over what do we do now. Their answer was get to a place of prayer, get to a place where the body of Christ was meeting, and they prayed and they sought God, and the response was they were filled 
and their perspective on the situation changed. Some of you, guys, listen, life brings trials and discouragements and stress and fear. And there are days when we don't feel saved, right? There are days when you don't feel anything. You don't feel saved. You don't feel like God is there. You don't feel like your prayers are getting past your ceiling. You just feel completely uh, odd and strange. Those are the moments when we need to decide that we are going to pursue and to seek the presence of God. We have to. All right, guys, listen, this is what I want you to know. There are times when we need to find the filling stations. Here's what a filling station is. Filling stations are moments of ignition, of stirring and fueling. These are the places where we find ourselves uh, when we leave that we are filled up. It might be a church. Some of you guys, man, you go all week long and it's like a beating. But when you leave church on Sunday, sometimes you come out of here and you just, you feel revived, don't you? Anybody ever feel that way? You just feel revived, man. The spirit may have moved through the worship and you, man, this is exactly what I needed. And you feel in strength and you feel emboldened. You feel like there's some fire lit inside of you. That is putting your place, yourself in a place of, of a filling station. You also, for some of you, that filling station is your prayer time at home. Some of you guys, you, you have not learned the discipline of a consistent time of prayer with God. You, you haven't got on your face before God in, in well, never. <laughs> some of you, it's been a long time, and some of you never have. And you said yes to Christ, but you're not experiencing the power of God. You don't feel saved. You're, you're positionally Christ, but you're not experiencing the power of God in your life. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit. You've been given the dunamis, but it's not lit up. You need to get in a place where you get that spark going, and that fire is lit. You need to get to the filling station. It could be church. It could be um, a prayer time. It could be a camp. It could be a retreat. You know, when kids come back from youth camp, there's a reason why they're on fire. You know why? It's not all emotions. It's because they were filled with the Spirit. Man, God showed up, saturated them, dunked them, covered them, and, and infused them, ignited them, and they come back on fire. And it's not abnormal for it to only last for a few months because we got to continually be filled with the Spirit. We got to put our pl- ourselves in places where we are continually filled. Some of you guys, you you, you know, a worship event, uh, uh, you know, like sometimes uh, I'll post that we'll go to conferences or we go to worship nights or, or uh, you know, sometimes you you don't get a chance to go to a conference, so you got to come on Sunday morning and you got to engage. You got to get take the cap off your 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 uh, your gas tank and, and and pump some fuel in you, you know. But some of you, you you know. You get to go to that conference. You get to go to that camp. You, we have a winter uh, advance coming up, and those are time when our kids come back infused. Those are places. Uh, uh, these are moments where, we're, where we are renewed in joy, uh, and we're taken back to the joy of our salvation, and, we're, and we come out of there bold in our walk with God, just like that experience in Acts 4. We need to be continually Filled. We need to seek after it. We need to put ourselves in those places. There are moments, some of you right now, you're dry. You know you're saved. You don't feel it, but you know you are. But you're dry. And you know what the answer to the Lord is? Be filled with the Spirit. You already have the indwelling Spirit of God in you, but you need to get yourself to a filling station. How do you know uh, you need a filling? Well, here's what it says Ephesians chapter 5 and 4. Uh, continued, it says, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Uh, some translations say, which will ruin your life, but be filled with the Spirit. 
resulting in, it will bring about speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, saying and make music from the heart of the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the result. When you get into a, a filling station, you walk out with joy, with gratitude, and boldness. You do. When you get into a place where God is truly touching you, it could be in your car. And that, that worship CD or that song that is just moving in your life, and, you, man, you're breaking down in tears in the car, and you get out of that car, and, you man, you feel the joy of God. You have an overwhelming sense of gratitude and thankfulness, and you walk out of there walking in from your car. You just had, man, you just had church in your car and that 20-minute drive to work, and you're walking in ready to stand strong for Jesus at work. Because God shows up where we put ourselves in humble submission. And what happens is joy, gratitude, and boldness happen. So here's the flip side. Here's how you know someone doesn't have the filling of the Spirit working in their life. A Spirit-filled life is filled with energized praise, gratitude, and boldness, and thankfulness. How do you know someone needs to get into a place where God can fill them? They have a negative attitude and a neglect of God. Negative and neglect. When somebody's walking around with just griping about everything, man, you need to get to a filling station. In that prayer closet, you need to get in your car. You need to get with a friend, and you need to pray. You need to engage in worship at church. You need to plug into that small group. You know, you need to get to a filling station. If you're just griping about your family, about your spouse, about your work, about your job, about your kids, life in general, politics, blah, just negative, man, get in the spirit, because the spirit's result is joy and gratitude, all right, and boldness. And if you have an overwhelming neglect of God, then you need to get to a filling station. If some of you, like, you have no desire to serve God, if you have no desire to volunteer, no desire to pray, you know, no desire to worship, no desire to read your Bible, uh, you know, you, you, you believe in God, you're a Christian, you're baptized in the Spirit. You're His. You're positionally in Christ. But you're not, you have this neglect of God that says, you know what? I'm just really struggling with even wanting to show up at church. You know what you need to do? You need to get to the filling station fast. All right? Because neglect of God and a negative attitude are sure signs that you need to get to a filling station. When we neglect and avoid the filling stations, we grow disconnected, we grow dry. We grow apathetic in our walk with God and our mission for our life. Everything becomes more important than what God has called us to do. When we are uh, not walking in that filling of the Spirit, when we're not putting ourselves at the filling station, then our own pursuits and desires and hobbies and take precedent over God's plan and will for our life and for the kingdom. We get unmotivated. We uh, doubtful. Uh, we get doubtful. We begin to allow fear uh, to rise up in our life. We become selfish. We become worried. Here's the answer. Get to a filling station. All right? If you hear the Spirit of God today, will you yield to the Spirit with this? Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to pursue and to seek out those moments where you are putting yourself in a position where you are filled. Okay? You're positionally baptized in Christ. You are in the kingdom. But we are to continually put ourselves in those moments where we are ignited. Some of you, it's time to get to a filling. Some of you guys, you come to church, but you don't take the gas cap off. 
You're coming here out of, out of sure, uh, sheer uh, habit or routine. And so you walk out the exact same way. One person can walk out ignited and on fire and waving that, that flare, man, just waving it. When they leave here and, and others are like, oh, that was cool. And they just put it right back in their pocket and things are just as usual. You know, I've got these other uh, illustrations from a couple weeks ago. we got the fan as the Holy Spirit... Woo! There's no light bulb in it. As the fan, because it fell last week, uh, from the worship band when they took it down. Uh, this fan blows the spirit of God. Uh, you know, we need to get in, our, in, in that place where we are experiencing that sense, that Holy Spirit. You know, I talked about this radio. It's like how there's the voice of God is here. You just got to tune it in. You know, there is a, there's a energy, radio waves right now that are floating all over this room, uh, magnetic waves, uh, radio waves. And when we tune in to those radio waves, we, we get music. Guys, the voice of God is here today. Will you tune in? Some of you, you like I said, you walk in and you, you never take the gas cap off. You're at a filling station and you're still driving away empty. All right? The Holy Spirit is speaking. What will you do today? Here's the last thing I want to mention. I want to wrap up with this thought here is that all believers are baptized in the Spirit. All believers are to be continually filled with the Spirit. And the third one, all believers are to walk in the Spirit. All believers are to walk in the Spirit. Baptism in the Spirit is a distinct time. Filled with the Spirit is different times. Walking in the Spirit is a daily you can write that down, distinct, different, and daily. Each one of them have a specific purpose. What do you think is the hardest one out of all of them? The third one, daily walking with God is, is the hardest because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when we respond to the Spirit of God in our life and say yes to Christ, we are baptized in the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit, if we are open to, to God at those moments of filling, we are we walk out on fire and ignited. But daily walking with God requires you alone in your room or in your car or throughout the day yielding to what God has for you on a daily basis. We are to walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to believers so that they could have the power to live and to walk with Jesus every day. Not just to have experience him on the weekends or at a camp or, you know, at those filling stations, but so that we could experience God every day. That's why we are to walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given in our life so that our life would be different than it was before. Some of you gave your life to Christ, and your life's not any different. That's why the Holy Spirit comes in and says, yeah, it is to be a lot different. You are to talk different, speak different, act different, treat people differently. Your attitude is to be different. These are things that happen when we walk in the Spirit. How do we know if the Holy Spirit is controlling our life? Well, there's evidence, and it's in Galatians chapter 5. The evidence is not signs and wonders. The evidence is not whether you're a good speaker or miracles are coming out of you or, you know, those are not signs of the Holy Spirit walking and moving through your daily life. This is what the Bible says the evidence of walking in the Spirit is. After Galatians 5, Paul says, walk in the Spirit, 
and you'll not gratify the lust of the flesh, he says this. This is what it looks like when you're walking in the Spirit. This is not a list of do's. This is a list of fruit. This is a list of evidence. He says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is the stuff that drops off the trees of our life of those that are deeply rooted in Christ. When we are truly rooted in Christ, this is stuff that falls off our branches. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. He says, man, if you just learn to walk in the Spirit, you don't have to worry about rules. You don't have to worry about restrictions. You don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments even. He says, if you will walk in the Spirit, he says, against such, there is no law. He says, if you just let the Spirit, if you're truly walking in the Spirit, he says, man, then, then, then all this comes natural. This, but this is not a list of do's. This is not, not one of these is you must have love. You must have joy. You must have peace. You must have patience. You must be kind. You must have goodness. You must be faithful. You must be gentle. You must have self-control. Now, these are the evidence or the fruit, the things that drop off the tree of someone who's deeply rooted in Christ. Guys, listen. When we learn to walk in the Spirit, these things happen naturally in our life. These are not things we have to force. They are things we have to yield to as we yield to the Spirit, as Galatians says and Romans 8 says. We must yield to, but that yielding is how we walk in. Guys, listen. How do you know if the Holy Spirit is controlling you? This all comes down to one thing. It's how you treat others. This is how I know you're walking in the Spirit. Because it affects your work life. You are the kind of employee that people love. It affects your worship life. Man, when you get in and man, you, if you're walking in the spirit, you're like, man, crank it up. I'm here. Start to 10. Come on, band. Let's get this thing going. And you're not meandering in, but you can't wait to get in because if you're walking in the spirit, your soul is craving out for that fellowship with God. Your worship life is different. Your work life is different. Your witness life is different. You're not the Christian that people run from. You're the person that people ask about. Because when you walk in the Spirit, you reflect a life that looks a lot like Jesus. It also affects your wedding life, meaning your family and your home and your marriage. Man, if you're walking in the Spirit, you know what? I find this interesting. A lot of people, they think that the fruit of the Spirit is for everybody else, but not their spouse. You know, we think that I need to be kind, I need to be patient, I need to be gentle with that guy at work, but my spouse... (laughs) Oh, well, that just got to be me. So you're allowed to be a jerk to your spouse, but everybody else gets the better you? No, it's got to be. It affects your wedding life. It affects your, your, your life at home. I mean, to where even at home, your words are filled with joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control at home. It, it affects your work life, your worship life, your witness life, your wedding life. It affects your whole life, when you walk in the Spirit. Um, I've, I've often illustrated it like this. I'm going to start to wrap it up. Is uh, I, I've often illustrated it like this. The car, you're in a car, and the speed limit signs that tell you not to speed, right? If you're going like 50 miles an hour in, or 55 miles an hour in a 45-mile-an-hour lane, and you see the sign, and you're like, I'm good. 
thanks for the suggestion sign. Right? That's what we do. I can handle everybody else is going 55. I think I'm going to, I better, hey, I'm just trying to keep up with traffic. I'm a danger on the road if I don't ride. You know, I've heard that excuse too. You get on the highway, everybody's going to, I don't want to be a danger. You know, so everybody speeds up, you know, because everybody's doing what everybody else is driving. And uh, the signs are just suggestions. And then you see the police officer, and what do you do? You try to be, do it nice and calm. I'm just cool. I'm going the speed limit. Always have been. You know, you just slow down. Very, the dummies are like, you know, and you're like, you can see them in front of you. Their lights all come on, and they go from like 45 to 55 in seconds. I'm like, no, I'm smoother than that. Slow it down. Because I was always going 45. And then you look in your rearview mirror, and once he's gone, you back up to 55 because you don't want to be a danger on the road. And you're, you've got better things to do. You've got places to go, people to see, and everybody else is going that speed, so what's the harm? Now, that is how we look at the Bible. We look at the Bible as a speed limit sign, good suggestion, God, but everybody else is not doing that. Good suggestion, God, but I want to be the kind of person that fits in or that I don't want to be a danger or harm to anybody. I don't want anybody to be offended or angry, upset. So, oh, and I've got places to go. I've got things to do. I know better. I can handle 55, God, even though you say only 45. I can handle whatever I, I know myself better than you, God. I can handle, I think the speed limit should be different, right? I love it. Well, it's 45, that's dumb. You ever said that to yourself, and that's your excuse for driving faster than the speed limit? 45's dumb. Well, that's just stupid. So you don't like it, so you're just going to do what you want. We do that with the Bible all the time. The Bible says certain restrictions uh, of, of the law, you know, of the Word of God. The law of God says certain things, and we just take them as suggestions until we see the pastor. Hide the beer. The pastor's here, right? Here comes the pastor. And all of a sudden, I'm always like this, Pastor Ted. I'm always like this. You see a friend from church or you see someone, uh, you know, another family member from church. And you're like, I'm always like this. Oh, I'm not. Oh, no, that cussing, that was, that was the guy. That was somebody. That was my, the person next to me. That wasn't me. That, that attitude, that spitefulness, that, that anger, you know, towards that waitress. No, no, that wasn't me. I, I don't do that. You're at your best. It's funny. You guys are perfect when we're around. I would never think any of you ever had any struggles or problems. All right? Because a lot of you, I'm like that police officer who's sitting behind the sign or behind a tree. And when you see me, you're like, you put on the facade until I'm gone. And then you speed back up to life as usual. But here's what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is when the chief of police decides to ride in the car with you. Because when the chief of police gets into your car, You're not looking for the cops. You're not even looking at the signs. You're trying to just be in relationship, in good relationship with that that chief of police, right? The guy who, this is the difference between having someone on the outside and you forcing yourself to submit to them and someone who's on the inside who's a co-pilot leading you and guiding you. You're submitting to a whole different way. It affects the way you drive from the moment you pull out of your driveway. And this is, we're talking about the analogy of our walk with God. When the Holy, 
Holy Spirit is walking in us and through us, we, we're not just looking for what we can get away with. We're not looking at the Bible as a suggestion. We're not just getting better around church folks and around other people. We are driving and walking and living completely different because the person who's got the highest authority in that area is now in us and working and guiding us. And we need to walk in the Spirit. So how do we do this? How do we walk in the Spirit? Well, we need to respond with submission to God's will with humility. This takes time. This takes prayer. This takes listening. It takes yielding to God's word. It takes turning from sin, acknowledging that there is sin, and turning uh, to God and stepping out in faith. It's, It's learning to respond to God. You see, this is where maturity comes in. Someone who's new in their walk with God, their walk with God, their walk in the spirit might be really rough. And, and messy, and you know what? That's a part of growth. It's part of maturity, which brings us back to the word sanctification. That's where we started. That's where we're going to end. As we are filled with the Spirit and yield to the Spirit, we are shaped by the Spirit more and more into the image of God, and that's called maturity. The word sanctify means to set apart or the process of becoming holy. This is what First Thessalonians 5.23 says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are made holy at salvation. We are then called through the Holy Spirit to be holy. The Holy Spirit is here to make holy spirits. That is the primary role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's role in our life is to make us holy. In 1 Thessalonians, he sanctifies our whole spirit, soul, and body, every bit of our life. God doesn't just want our spirit. He doesn't just want us our salvation. He wants our body to be sanctified. He wants our attitudes to be sanctified. He wants our passions and our, and our, our will to be sanctified, to be made holy as we yield to the Holy Spirit daily, walking with him. See, when you're born again, you have what's called a positional holiness. But you have in your life a progressive holiness, the process of maturity. And this is done through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to end with this last illustration here, my last Holy Spirit illustration. I had several others. Um, I just actually I had these still in the car, so I thought I'd bring them in. Uh, I have here a jar, and the the Holy Spirit sanctifying our life is a lot like canning. Anybody here ever canned jams or fruit or peaches or anything? Some of you uh, men or women? All right, it's kind of a country thing. Um, Here's how it works. Canning is a lot like the process of sanctification. What's the first thing you do when you want to can something? You sterilize the jar. Okay, so uh, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm not familiar with canning uh, personally, but I know about it. All right, so let me get my jar ready. All right, so basically the first thing you do is you purify the jar. You know why you, you don't just clean it, you have to sterilize it. You know why you sterilize it? Germs, right. If there is any germ whatsoever, if there is any, if there's anything in this jar If it's not sterile, then whatever you put in it, it will become poisoned. 
So this jar has got to be perfectly sterile, clean. That is our salvation. You know what God does? He doesn't just partially sterilize you. He doesn't just forgive one or two of your sins. Man, at the foot of Jesus, he takes you and cleans you from the inside out. You are sterile. You are clean. You are pure in the eyes of God, all right? So he takes these sterile lives, these pure, clean lives, and with canning, you know what you do next? What you do next? Well, you know why you sterilize it? So that you can put something in it. So what God, what you do next is you like, you take your fruit. You know, I got grapes here, okay? You take your fruit, might take peaches, uh, a jam or something, uh, crush it, you know, put, add some sugar, so that sort of stuff. And um, you fill it and you just kind of, I mean, it just covers every bit. It fills every bit of this jar. And you're sealed, okay? Guys, that's baptism in the Holy Spirit. You are made clean through the cross. Then you are filled with the fruit of the Spirit so that you might, in time, when you're ready, be used to pour out to be something delicious in somebody's life. We're in a canning process, all right? Some of you, God is, has yet to purify you and to clean you. And some of you, God is, is in the process of, of filling your life up, imparting into you, pouring your, his life into you. And as you walk in the spirit and you're filled with the spirit, you're baptized in the spirit, you're filled with the spirit. Now there comes a time where we walk out our faith and we walk out this fruit and the world begins to taste our fruit. The world begins to, the world begins to experience the life of the Spirit of God through us and in us. It's all through the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has got a role to play in your journey. And I hope if you've learned anything during this series is this, is that the Holy Spirit isn't a force. He's not some abstract being or some power. He is God at work in you. He's the part of God that is empowering and, and giving you life. I want to end with this thought here. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow or mature in grace and in knowledge. That word grace is we are to grow in our understanding of God's grace, his salvation, and in knowledge. It's in doctrine and God's will. We are to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, to him, both glory now and forever. We are baptized in the Spirit. We are continually filled with the Spirit. We are to be controlled by the Spirit, and we are to walk in the Spirit. And here's where it starts. Write this down. It starts with this. Number one, get back to the power of the gospel. Get back to the power of the gospel. Your desperate, desperate need for God's grace our complete depravity, our complete self, uh, uh, selflessness, our complete uh, um, understanding of brokenness, our sinfulness. We need to get back to that point where we are saying, God, I'm nothing without you. I have neglected the gospel. The cross has become a side thought. It's become an afterthought. It's, uh, you know, some of you, when was the last time you, you truly experienced the cross of Christ? and the price that was paid for us. We need to get back 
to the power of the gospel. Number two, we need to get to the filling stations. Some of you, it's time. Don't run. I mean, don't walk. You need to run to that place of filling. You've lived long enough on your own strength. It does not work. And number three, you need to get to that daily place where you're seeking God. So you need to get back to the power of the gospel. You need to get to a filling station. And you need to get to that place where you're daily seeking God again. You don't need him tomorrow. You need him today. You don't just need him tomorrow. You need him Tuesday also. You need him every day. And as you grow in the knowledge and grace of him, and you walk in the spirit, and you listen to the spirit, and you yield to the spirit, you know what happens? Your world is turned upside down. Because the Holy Spirit changes everything. The Holy Spirit changes everything. I want to pray for you. Dear Jesus, it's only through the Spirit that we have true life transformation. So God, I pray, Lord, for the Spirit of God to transform our life. I want you just to talk to God for a moment. And what's God speaking you through today? Maybe it goes all the way back to the beginning where you don't know God and you have realized that you're not going to be happy until you find him. And for some of you, you are children of God, but you've grown tired and, and stressed out and, and dry. And God's saying, come to the filling station. Get on your face at home or at church or, or at that special event and just get on your face and find me. Get with a friend and pray. Get in a small group and share your heart. Let them lay hands on you. Get to that filling station. And for some of you, God's saying, walk with me every day. Get on your face. It's time to seek my face before you go to work. It's time to seek my face before you go to school. Before that big decision, before that little decision, seek my face. Walk with me. God, thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us. And God, you count us your own. And though these things in our life don't affect our relationship with you, they do affect our fellowship. And God, some people here, they're just struggling with knowing that you're real, and that you're alive, and that you're working in their life. I pray that they would know that right now, God. Fill them up. Fill them up, Jesus. God, fill them up, Lord. Will you just ask him right now? If you're, if you're a Christian, will you just ask the Holy Spirit to fill you up? So Spirit, fill me. Ignite in me. Fire me up, God. Take me back to that place. bold in my walk with you, God. Take me back. Fill me with your spirit. Continue to say that. Say, just talk to, just talk to God. Ask him to fill you. It's the Holy Spirit that will renew, revive. And some of you here, you don't even know the Holy Spirit because you're not a child of God. Will you just take a moment just to talk to Jesus right now? Talk to Jesus. If you're not a Christian, say, Jesus, here's my life. God, I don't understand everything. I don't even know if I understand this whole service, but God, I know I need you. And God, I know I, I'm not going to have meaning without you. So go on, talk to him. God, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, wash me clean. Fill me with your spirit.
fill us with your spirit. Let's all stand. And if you're a child of God, will you just raise your hands in a, in a position of receiving and as a position of surrender? If you are a Christian, if you're not, maybe you feel comfortable doing that too and you don't have to. Just ask God to fill you. God, I need you. Go ahead, tell him, God, fill me. I need you. I need your, your fire. I need your spark. I need your boldness. I need your direction. I need your counsel. I need your clarity. God, convict me. God, give me discernment. God, help me to see the world and life and my life differently. God, help me to make choices differently through the eyes of the kingdom of God, through the eternal, not the temporary. God, fill me with your spirit. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.